All right. So over the last three weeks or two weeks, this is the third week of this series, uh, we've taken a step back from what would be a normal uh, preaching schedule through a book of the Bible or something, and we've just been talking about who we are as a church. We've entitled the series uh, Hashtag Grace Detroit, This Is Us, and um, I've been told multiple times that I need to ask you, remind you, and implore you to use this hashtag. So if you do post anything, if you're in the service and Norflet said something in the worship or we sang a lyric that moved you or you were in the lobby and somebody says something that was moving to you or if I read something or say something, uh, we would love for you to post it on Facebook, on Instagram, Twitter, whatever you use, and we would always like you to use this hashtag, not just for this series, but going forward, just to drive momentum. Now, to be perfectly honest with you, I have no idea why, but that's what they told me to say, so it's beyond my, uh, I, I'm just too old. So anyway, please use that hashtag. It helps to uh, create some kind of, I don't know what. Anyway, just would you just do it because I ask you to, and then they won't keep asking me to ask you to do that. But anyway, so we're into this series. In the first week, G talked about this thing we call our mosaic, right? That, that we are, what's our mission statement? We are, right, we are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. It's a part of our mission statement. And this thing called the mosaic, it's a beautiful picture of our diversity, not just black and white, not just racial diversity, but the diversity of our stories and the economic diversity and and, and, and our past spiritual upbringing diversity and all of that. This is just a very, uh, eclectic place. We all come together. And the idea that, of the mosaic, what I love about that picture is a mosaic is just a, a, a bunch of broken, different colored pieces of glass usually that come together to make this amazing, beautiful work of art, right? And when you think about it, if it's kind of like a puzzle too. And if you think about a puzzle, anytime there's a few pieces of a puzzle missing, it's obvious to you when you look at it. As a matter of fact, your eye goes to what's missing more than to What's there? And I think that's a good picture for us at the church, that we are really uh, best when we all come together, when we all bring our diversity together and we serve together and we hang together and we love together. That's what makes this mosaic such a powerful thing. And that's when the world will see God at work in our congregation, when we have unity and we come together as a mosaic. So we are a mosaic. That's the first week. <coughs> Excuse me, the second week. We talked about the fact that if we truly are a mosaic, that it has to go beyond the weekend service, that we need to be connected in some type of C groups, what we call community groups. That's just a group of 12 to 20 people, usually male and female, always racially diverse, uh, where we come together for encouragement, for connection, for care. It's where we learn to live out those 47 one another commandments in scripture that it has to go beyond Sunday or Saturday nights. You need to be connected in a community group. Last week, we talked about this book, I don't know if you remember, called Unoffendable by Brant Hansen. And the idea of this book is there is a way for us to live in community with one another without taking offense about our differences, our differences in culture, our differences in belief. Powerful book, super uh, enjoyable to read. This guy is uh, very funny. Uh, he's a radio DJ, and he brings his uh, lighthearted humor to the book. But I can tell you, uh, as much as I laughed while I read this, it has really been um, a book that I've had to sink into and just really ask myself, am I really living a life unoffendable? So we bought a case of these books and sold them all last week. So I bought another case, or we bought another case, and they're for sale again at the information counter for $10. I would just 
encourage you to get it. I would love every uh, small group to do a study for a few weeks just on what it means to be unoffendable and be a part of, uh, just a part of our DNA at the church. It could be very powerful. So small groups, community groups, it's where we learn to live out the, our purpose. It's where we learn to, to live on mission in the world, right? So with all of that said, the first two weeks, we have, could say of ourselves at Grace, first of all, we are a mosaic, right? That would be the first statement of fact about grace. We certainly are a mosaic. The second thing that we could say is, is that we are, and I think this is, if you want to pull those slides up, it would be great. We are a church of C groups. And maybe this one is better said as um, a statement of desire, if you will, or a statement of, of, of hope. We know that we're only about 23% there, but we are going to lean into it. In the same way that we began to talk about us being a mosaic, we had to grow into that. It had to become a part of our DNA. So we're, we're speaking this one out, and we're going to become more and more a church of C groups, community groups. And then the last one is we are a word and spirit church. So that's really, if you were to ask what the three weeks, this was week one, week two, and this is what I'm gonna talk about today. We are a word and spirit church. And what that means is we are always, always, always going to be rooted in the word of God. We believe that the scriptures are God-breathed. We believe that the scriptures are God-truth. We believe that the scriptures are the inerrant word of God. They are without error. I am with error, so when I preach, it's not on. It's not impossible that I would say something wrong, and I would encourage you, if that's ever the case, to, in humility to come and say, hey, I'm not sure that's what the scriptures say. I can make an error, but this is an error, right? We believe that the word of God is truth and that it's here for us and it helps us to navigate life. It's what, it's what helps us in, in who we are. We are word church. And so that means that we are gonna follow what this book says, even if it's unpopular, even if it's socially uh, unacceptable, even if it goes against the grain of, of what society says, if the, if the word says it, we're going to do it. We're even going to follow the word of God if in time what it says becomes illegal, like maybe it is in other countries, places where we have ministry partners. It's not about whether or not society likes it, it's what it's God said. And so we are always, always going to be a word church. But we are also a spirit church, and we're going to talk about that more. So grab your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm going to unpack this in more detail. Chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians begins this uh, three chapters where Paul is, the Apostle Paul is writing, and he is explaining to us about spiritual gifts and, and talking about the, the manifestation, if you will, the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so here's three chapters, one after another, and he talks about how all of the spiritual gifts need to be wrapped in love. And he talks about how if the spiritual gifts are, are not used correctly or misused, it'll create chaos in the church. And, and, and he talks about how all of us have different gifts and all of that comes together. And so uh, I can't cover three chapters in one sermon. So my first homework assignment, that's right, there's homework, uh, is for you to sit down and read chapters 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians. And I would encourage you to read it in one sitting. Won't take you very long at all. And just ask God before you start reading, God, what do you want me to learn? What do you want me to see? What do you want to show me as I read these three chapters of 1 Corinthians? It's three chapters specifically written to help us understand the movement and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're going to only read verses 1 through 11 this morning. Uh, I'll come and pick up a few of the other verses, but that's our primary text for today. Paul writes these words. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, 
I do not want you to be uninformed. Get it? He's shifting gears. He's saying, okay, I've written all this stuff to you, but now let's talk about spiritual gifts because it's important, church, that you understand what's going on with spiritual gifts. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. I know you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Verse four. Now there's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There's a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there's a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. This is really important. Let me just read it one more time. Verse seven. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good, not for your own personal thing, but for the common good of the body. For to one is given through the spirit of utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by one spirit, to another the work of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one in the same spirit who apportions Get this, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray uh, for these next few minutes that you would guide my words, that you would guide our hearts. Uh, This is probably one of the most controversial subjects in the church, the, uh, the, 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 the theology of the Holy Spirit, the understanding of the gifts of the Spirit has, has caused division in the church for centuries. And so we just ask, Lord, that you would go before us, that you would uh, help our hearts to be receptive to what you have for us, that, that my words would be clear, that your scripture uh, would come through loud and clear. We just pray that you would protect us, that we would stay one just as you and the Father are one. Amen? Hey, just as a side note, there is in the back on the information counter a uh, brochure, if you will, a handout that uh, Rock and I wrote uh, while he was here. And this really is kind of everything, not everything I'm gonna talk about, but a lot of what I'm gonna talk about in a little bit more detail. So if you walk out of here like, I'm not sure what Doug said, or I wanna read more about that, if you just grab one of these on the way out, it'd just be a good resource for you uh, to, to kind of get more. And I would also encourage you uh, to ask if some of this, we, I know that some of this may strike you um, as different or odd, or you may be uncomfortable with some of it, I would just encourage you to lean in. Lean into the scriptures, lean into to, to what they have to say, ask questions. You don't, I don't want you to feel like you have to just take it and walk out of here and say, well, Doug said it, it is what it is. So the question we have to ask ourselves is so as we read this section of 1 Corinthians and you read this list of all of these spiritual gifts that, that Paul has listed there, the question that comes to mind is, does this still apply to you and I as followers of Jesus? Is there a logical reason or a biblical reason for us to say, well, this was written for the first century church, but it doesn't apply to the church in 2018? And if you begin to ask that question, then you have to bring that question to bear on a lot of passages in the New Testament. You have to ask yourself, does this still apply to me? Does it still apply to the church? Or was it just a first century thing? So in Acts 1, Jesus says these words, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. 
Was this promise that Jesus made just for the apostles, just for the disciples? Or was it a limited promise that just says, hey, we're, you're going to have this power, but the power that you have is just so that you can talk about me more intelligently, so you can be my witness intellectually? Or is there something more that Jesus is promising? When the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, part of your homework assignment, 14.1, he says, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy, is he saying earnestly desire some of the spiritual gifts or all of the spiritual gifts? Is he saying to them at the time, all of the gifts are in play, but now it's a few thousand years later, earnestly desire some gifts, but don't worry about other gifts because those aren't in action anymore, right? So here at Grace, we believe that what was promised to the early church is still the promise of the church today. We believe that when... Yep. We believe that the scriptures bear it out that when we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, that he desires to pour out his gifts in us and through us, all of his gifts to us, all of his gifts through us, but we're gonna see, not necessarily all of them, that we each that one person has all of them, right? So we're gonna take Jesus at his word. John 14, 12, he said, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Well, what were the works that he did? You have to go back and read the gospels and see all of the miracles and the pouring out of the spirit that happened through Jesus. And greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. Because I'm ascending, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit and you will be able to do the things that I've done. But this is super important. This is critical that we get this. It becomes the basic foundation for how we operate as a church. When it comes to spiritual gifts, when you uh, become a follower of Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit, and God gives you spiritual gifts, here's what we need to hold on to. When it comes to spiritual gifts, all have some and none have all. I want you to hear that again. All have some spiritual gifts, and none have all. It's God's design. Each person bringing what God has given to him. It's another part of the mosaic. Our spiritual gifts come together to make us a whole. Paul writes, I don't want you to be misinformed. I don't want you to misunderstand. I want to make sure you understand spiritual gifts. And then he begins to write three chapters about spiritual gifts. Right, And so when you get to verse 12, so we read through 11, get to verse 12, he says, for just as there's one body and it has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And then he starts in verse 14. Remember, this passage is about spiritual gifts. Okay, This is the context of which Paul is writing. And we've, we use this passage to talk about other things, but it is primarily written to help us to be informed about spiritual gifts. For the body, this is verse 14, does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole party, body was an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole Excuse me, if the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranges the member of body, each one of them, as he chooses. As it is, God arranges the spiritual gifts within the body as he chooses. If we were just a single member, if we were just one gift, everybody had the same gift, where would the body be? As it is, there's many parts, yet one body. So do you get what Paul's saying? He, he's making it crystal clear to us that all have some 
but none have all. That's what makes the body function as a whole. All of the gifts are important. All of the gifts are indispensable and critical to the health and the well-being of the church. And so we as a church have to be careful not to elevate certain gifts above other gifts. And so we can't say this person has the gift of healing and they're more important than this person because they only have the gift of helps. You see what I'm saying? We have to realize that all of the gifts come together. They're all just important. That's why Paul's writing this. Even if you think your gift is less than, or you feel like, well, I just have this gift, so I'm a lesser part of the body, or I'm not even a part of the body. You say, no, it doesn't work that way. Every part of the body comes together to make the body function the way the body is supposed to function. So we are a word and a spirit church. And so I want to just talk about why we use those two words together. And in the past, when I've talked about this, um, I've often used the analogy of a scale. I actually asked Brian if we had time to build a scale, and I'm kind of glad that we didn't, because the more that I sunk into this talk and thought about it, the, the very... Uh, analogy of a scale, or sometimes I've used a teeter-totter to talk about this. The problem with that, there's a fatal flaw in this, and yes, we have to have balance, but you realize you could have balance and just have a gram of each on each side, right? It's the balance just says you just have to have the same amount, and there's something missing if we take that analogy too far, and we do need to have balance, but I'd rather you think of this as two parts of the whole, that this becomes two parts of a, of a wheel, if you will. It's not about that we have a little bit of spirit and a little bit of the word of God. We want all of the spirit, and we want all of the word. We want them together in the same function, but something happens when the church or when church people get this askew and when there is an overemphasis on one and a lack of emphasis on the other. The best way I can explain this is to just give you a little bit of my upbringing and, and it helps to make this clear. I actually think uh, this is one of the reasons why God has chosen to put me in this place because of my experience or God knew that I would be standing here someday and so he gave me these experiences as a child I don't know how that all plays out but the first experience was I grew up uh, in southern Florida we went to a very large at least I remember it as being large I was smaller then might be interesting to go back and be like wow this isn't a very big church at all but anyway it seemed like it was large many of the uh, Miami Dolphins went there I remember so it was, it was a popular large uh, at that time Southern Baptist Church Super fundamental, super rigid, uh, very hellfire and brimstone. I, I remember uh, every message I remember scared the pants off me. Um, I prayed the prayer at the end of every message because I wanted to make sure I was covered because he just scared the hell out of me, literally. And I, I just mean that literally, right? Not as a, right? So, I mean, that was just the type of church. But he taught the word. He was a, a, a lover of the word. He taught the word. Uh, but it was rigid, it was legalistic, it was if you screw up, you're, you know, if you sin, things are going to, just a lot of legalism, right? You, you get the picture. But it was a word church, and it's not that they didn't believe in the Spirit. As a matter of fact, he would talk about it's the Spirit's job to help you to understand the Word. It's the Spirit's job to help you to apply the Word. And while that's true, that was kind of the limitation. The Spirit exists to help you to understand the Word and then to apply the Word and to live out the Word and all that other stuff doesn't really matter. I know it's in the Bible, but whatever. I mean, nobody ever said that, but that's the way it felt growing up, all right? So then my, my parents have this uh, <laughs> experience. I don't know how to put it any other way. They, they started to hang out with a group of folks that called themselves charismatics, um, these people spoke in tongues, they prayed for healing, um, their worship was a little more lively than the big Baptist church that we were going to, 
Um, but what I remember most is most of what they taught was focused on feeling and experience, revelation, and, and did God do the latest miracle? And it's all about the, the, the miracles and the movement and how do we feel, even the worship. And, and it's not that they didn't believe in the word. They just somehow got a little askew. And, and to be honest with you, uh, it was pretty flaky. Uh, and there were things that, you know, it just, it just was. So my folks leave the big word church and they join the little spirit church and I grew up with this first hidden hand experience of these two uh, crazy extremes in my opinion. So the first church, just to kind of put it in, in a little bit of context, um, they had sword drills. Anybody grow up with sword drills? Raise your hand, you know what a sword drill is? Wow, we've come a long ways, thank you. Uh, sword drill was uh, all the kids would line up in Sunday school and they would just shout out a, a Bible verse and you would just try to find it and the first one to find it would step forward and read the verse and then you get the little star, right? That was a sword drill, it was to teach us to navigate the Bible. Very cool thing, it's actually still a good thing. I would, would not be opposed if we did sword drills again. Um, but if you won the sword drill, that meant a lot, you were a pretty spiritual kid. Or they would always give us memory verses, which also isn't a bad thing. I thank God all the time. I sometimes remember verses I didn't know that I memorized. I'm like, well, thank you, that's pretty cool that I had that. But the truth of the matter is, as a kid growing up, if I wanted to be seen as the spiritual kid, I just had to have a few good verses memorized and I had to be fast with my sword drill, right? I, and I, just a way of confession, sometimes I'd know the verse that they were asking us to look up and I would just open my Bible and stand forward and just say it because I knew it. <laughs> Because that's how you got a star. I know. I'm going to get struck by lightning right now, right? But that's the whole point. It was all about the Bible. Now, none of these are bad things, but if that is what makes a kid spiritual, right? Well, then I go to the little spirit church, and guess what? If you can speak in tongues, you're there. That makes you spiritual. You're the one. You don't even have to know any Bible verses, but if you can do that, you're the spiritual one. So guess what? I just faked it. <laughs> Somebody said, oh. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not the first kid in one of those churches to fake it. All right. What's my point? There was something a little amiss in both those cases, right? There was a sort of like about, and the truth of the matter is, if you become a student of church history, you began to see that there is a reoccurring pattern when it comes to the Holy Spirit that happens in churches. And this, is, this happens all the time. The more you dig into it, the more you begin to see it. And if you could put that uh, graph up on the screen, that would be helpful to me. It's kind of the circle graph. Thank you. So this is kind of how it goes. Uh, very commonly, the church is a group of people. It's, it could be a denomination. It could just be a group of people within a denomination come together and they begin to say, we're missing something. We believe that, that there's more to this life with God than what we're having. We, and they desire for more of the spirit. And they begin to pray earnestly. And I think God inspired prayers of God. Would you pour out your spirit on us? Would you move in a powerful way? In a lot of ways, it's the church it was our prayer, even a few years ago, when we were saying, man, I think we need more of the Spirit. I think we're missing something. God, show us how to navigate that. Would you pour out your Spirit in this place? So revival after revival started with prayer, and it started with prayer that the Spirit would move in a powerful way. And then the Spirit moves, and people began to experience manifestations of the Spirit, manifestations like Paul was talking about, manifestations like tongues, manifestations like healing, manifestations like words of knowledge, manifestations of the Spirit come, and it becomes a powerful revival within the church. All of a sudden, people are coming to Christ and the church is growing. But here's what happens. When, when the spirit moves in a powerful way, quite often people take that and they use that to their advantage and it becomes an abuse of the spirit. All you got to do is turn on your TV 
and you will see abuse of the spirit. You know, when, when you're watching TV and they tell you if you pay $200, they're gonna send you a hanky and the hanky's gonna heal you. I'm here to tell you, A, it isn't gonna heal you, and B, that is spiritual abuse, right? So, so the point being, God moves, God shows up in a powerful way, and because in that power, people get, get recognition, because in that power, people are elevated to positions of authority, because of that power, people can draw people in, because of that power, people can actually manipulate other people to give more, it becomes a, a way of, of economic gain, there becomes abuse of the power, and then the church says, well, that doesn't work, so then they prohibit the spirit. They say, well, no more tongues, no more no more healing, that, that obviously doesn't work, because look, so, so a person is given a gift, they abuse the gift, and so we throw the baby out with the bathwater, and the church goes back, you can, if you go back and study church history, you will see this repeating itself over and over and over. But it doesn't have to go this way. So at Grace, uh, we're determined to break the cycle. We are determined to be a word and spirit church. The best. So the best way to protect us uh, and the best way to encourage the spirit ministry is simply to go by the Bible, to abide by what the scriptures tell us. We're not gonna add anything and we're not gonna take anything away. If it's in here, we're gonna embrace it. If it's not in here, we're gonna say, look, we don't see that in the scriptures and we're not gonna have that in our place. And here's the crazy thing. Just this one little section of scripture that I assigned to you, 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians, there is enough information just in those three chapters that if the church throughout its history had stuck to those chapters, it would have avoided almost all of the abuse. Actually, if you take all of Paul's writing on this, it keeps us from getting silly or out of line or whatever, you know, flaky as I talked about that other experience that I had. So here we have all of this helpful information. The idea is, are we going to stay with what God has said? So I wanna remind you of this critical point and then talk about why it's important. When it comes to spiritual gifts and the movement of the spirit in our lives, what did I say? All have some and none have all, right? There is not one gift that distinguish if a person has the Holy Spirit. You cannot make a biblical case for that. There is not a gift that says if you have this, you have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have this gift, you do not have the Holy Spirit. That is not biblical. And that has been taught in many places and I just want you to hear, that gets us in trouble. Why? Because we're no longer going by what the word says, we're just going by what we think the word should say. All right? So Paul writes these words in the passage that we read, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. One is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. The next gift that he talks about is the, spirit, is, a, is the gift of knowledge. And then he talks about the gift of faith. And then he talks about the gift of healing. And then he talks about the gift of miracles. And then he talks about the gift of prophecy. He talks about the ability to distinguish between spirits, which is discernment various kinds of tongues to another interpretation of tongues. And then in verse 11, sorry to the slide person trying to keep up with me back there. All of these are empowered by one in the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And the purpose of this is to keep us humble. What I want you to hear is that these spiritual gifts are not given to us like merit badges. We do not do certain things. We do not achieve a certain level of spirituality. And God says, oh, you finally arrived there. Here's your next gift. 
We're not Boy Scouts trying to get our next badge. We don't do things. As a matter of fact, there is no correlation between spiritual gifts and spiritual maturity. As a matter of fact, God gives people spiritual gifts as God apportions, and sometimes people who are very spiritually immature are given spiritual gifts, and it's our job as the church, as shepherds, to help bring people along, to disciple people so that they can use their spiritual gifts in appropriate ways. As a matter of fact, how do you know there's no correlation between spiritual gifts and spiritual maturity? Because that cycle that I talked about would never happen if the people who were given spiritual gifts were spiritually mature, right? But God apportions it, and it's God's way. So we have to be careful not to look at somebody who God has given a spiritual gift and assume just because they have that gift, now they're a spiritual giant. That's not scriptural, okay? So we believe scripture is clear. All have some, none have all. We also believe and think the scripture is clear that all are given the Holy Spirit when they say yes to Jesus, So when you finally get to the point where you surrender your life to Jesus, however that looked for you or looks for you, if if you haven't done that yet, is, is just recognizing my life is a mess. I have sinned. I have made a mess in my life. I am not navigating life well. I am missing something, Lord. I give up. Would you come into my life? Would you be the Lord of my life. It's, it's however you pray that prayer. It's that moment when you surrender your life to God. Say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I want you to be my Lord and Savior. The scriptures are clear. It's when that happened, the Holy Spirit takes residence of you. Actually, it says that the Holy Spirit is given to you as a seal right? It's a seal. It's given to you, and it's given to you for the purpose of guidance. It's given to you for the purpose of, of growth. It's given to you as a counselor, and it's given to you as a giver of gifts, right? Now, hear what I'm about to say, because this gets confusing. We do not believe in a second experience. We believe in a continual experience, So you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes, but you need to stay in a posture where you are continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not I was saved, now I have to go find the second moment, now I've had the experience, now I'm set for life. I just don't think you can back that one up scripturally. So Ephesians 5.8 says, do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. That passage is perfect present tense. I don't know what that was, but that was pretty interesting. A spider. Wow. I don't even know what to say about that. Thank you. Uh, so Ephesians 5.18, and do not be drunk with the wine for this debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, the passage is written in perfect present tense. It's right now that we are to be continually abiding in Christ, and that as we abide, we are to be continually filled with the Spirit, that we need to stay in that place. So here's how I would tell you if you, if you want to see this most uh, vividly played out. So we know who the Apostle Peter is, right? Pretty important guy in scriptures. He was there uh, at Pentecost. You remember what happened at Pentecost? The Spirit of God came. People were filled with the Spirit and they began to speak in tongues. They began to preach in languages they didn't even know. Amazing story, right? Peter preaches a message. says he was filled with the Spirit. He preaches a message. 3,000 souls came to Christ that day, right? Powerful thing. Well, if you just go a few more chapters, a couple more chapters to chapter four, it says that Peter was filled with the Spirit and he spoke to the council at that time. So was he filled then? And they're just saying, well, he was filled back then and he's all set. I don't think so because as you keep reading over and over, different people have moments in time where they need to be filled with the Spirit so they can do the very thing that God is calling them to do in that moment. 
So if you were to ask me, how can I pray for you? The, the best thing you could ever pray for me is that I would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that the words that I speak from the front would be Holy Spirit inspired, that the things that I say to people when they come and sit in my office would be the fruit of the Spirit in my life. If you ever think, how can I pray for Doug? Just pray that he would be full of the Holy Spirit. You see the difference here? This is a continual thing that we have to stay connected to the vine and be filled with the Spirit. For some reason, we leak. Right, and we just need to stay with Jesus and stay full of the Spirit. So, what I want to do in the, in the rest of the time is I want to talk about three particular gifts, and the reason I'm going to talk about these gifts is because they've tended to be the gifts that have created the most controversy, uh, the most division, and the most confusion within the church. And the first gift that I want to talk about is tongues. There are two distinct uh, gifts of tongues in the scriptures. Uh, first is what we talked about two weeks ago in, in Acts 2, and it happened at Pentecost, and that's, I just talked about it, the ability to talk in a, in a language that you weren't trained in, right? This would be as if I went to Afghanistan, and suddenly I could speak fluent Arabic, and I preached a message in Arabic. I couldn't say one word in Arabic right now. So that would be a, a movement of God giving me a tongue so that I could communicate to a people group who don't speak English, right? So that's what happened at Pentecost. But there is a second kind of tongue that's described, interestingly enough, in the same chapters that I assigned to you to read in chapter 14, where Paul says, for the one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men, but to God, right? You see the difference? If you're speaking in a language that people can understand, I would be speaking to men, not, this is not a gender thing, it's a humankind, right? So God gives me the gift of Arabic, it would be so that I can speak to men and women who speak Arabic, right? But when people speak in this tongue, they're not speaking to men, for no one understands, but he utters mysteries in the spirits. This is a prayer language, it's a gift. It's a gift given by God as God sees fit and not on merit. You get that. As God decides to give that spirit, God or that gift, God gives that gift. We believe that tongues are still a part of the church today. And so you may ask yourself, well, why don't we ever hear it from the front? Well, because the scripture is pretty clear that that would create confusion. It says if somebody's going to speak in tongues, then we also have to have somebody who can make an interpretation. And if we have somebody who can make an interpretation, we also have to have a, a body of, of leaders who can make a, a case as to whether or not that was actually from God or for this body. So it becomes very chaotic in a situation like this if we had tongues going on from the front. So why don't you hear tongues? Because we think the word, we're a word and spirit of church, is very clear. As a matter of fact, Paul says don't do it when you have guests in the house because it would confuse people. So we're going to stay with what the word tells us. Now, all of that being said, if I were, if we had a huge group of people that came that spoke a different language and suddenly G or I could speak that language, we would be disobedient if we didn't come up and talk to them in that language. Now, again, that's never happened, but I guess it could happen and that would be an appropriate time for tongues to be used on the stage. Make sense? Second gift that I want to talk about. Again, I just want to remind you, more detail, more stuff in this pamphlet that's in the back if you want it. Um, we just have a limit on how much I can talk about. Second one is healing. And the question is, does God still heal? And we believe at Grace that God does heal. We're actually told in the scriptures that when you uh, are suffering from a, a, some kind of, of ailment, whether it's a spiritual uh, ailment or a physical ailment, that you are to come to the leadership of the church and ask them, to anoint you with oil and pray for you. Now, why would God tell us to church and pray for it if he didn't have any intention of kind of movement futility, right? So that's part of why we close the service the way we do. All the people that are down here are trained leaders how to lay hands on you and to pray for healing. 
So here's what we believe about healing, and this is also incredibly important. When it comes to healing, God often does. Sometimes he does not, but either way, he's always good. Let me say it one more time. This is important. He often does. Actually, more often probably than we believe at first, and that's what we're experiencing here at Grace. He often does, but sometimes he does not. But either way, he's always good. And can I just tell you, this is one of the hardest conversations for me as a pastor because I don't know why. So I've, I've had this conversation multiple times in the last week, one of them with my, with my wife yesterday. Is I, I don't know why God doesn't heal sometimes. And, and I wish I did, and as a pastor, as a shepherd, I wish I had a better answer, but I do know the scriptures are pretty clear when he says, hey, my ways are not your ways. My, you can't really understand everything I'm doing, Doug. There's a lot more going on than your little tiny mind can comprehend. So you just pray in faith and you allow me to do what I do, but you always teach, I am good, I am good, I am good, whether I heal or don't heal, but often I will heal. But if I don't, you don't need to explain it. I, don't, I wish that I could, but I can't, okay? Here's the deal. We do not wanna lay a burden on you that says if you just had more faith, God would have. Oh, if you'd have just prayed the prayer a little different way than, than God would have. If you, just, if you just believe differently, that is a burden that a person shouldn't have to carry. And I would say God is not playing a game with you. He's not gonna make you get the right prayer. He's not gonna make you do the right thing. As a matter of fact, when we look at the scriptures and we see in the gospels, people did some crazy things. Some people, all they, they didn't pray a prayer at all. They just reached out and touched a garment and God showed up, right? So, so it's not about getting it right. It's just about a movement in faith. We also understand that God uses difficulties for greater purposes than we know. Throughout the scriptures, there's people who, who have difficulties and it's for their benefit that they go through that or it's for the benefit of those around them. So we need to have both the theology of suffering along with a theology of hearing, but we need to come to the table, we need to come to Jesus with an understanding that he often heals, sometimes he doesn't, but either way, he's good. Third gift that I wanna talk about there's more, and we probably should just make this a whole series and talk about spiritual gifts, but the third one today that we're gonna talk about is prophecy. And here's the interesting thing. If you look at in chapter 14, verse one, I just think this is phenomenal. So he's, Paul says these words. He says, pursue love, and by the way, all of the gifts have to be wrapped in love or it becomes abuse right away. That's what Paul's saying in these chapters. You have to shroud every gift in love. That is the motivation for the gifts and the way the gifts are to be used. So you pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, so what's that saying to us? It says, even if you think the gift is uh, odd, if it makes you uncomfortable, weird might be the word you use. I'm not really comfortable with that gift, God. I don't know that I wanna speak in tongues. I don't know. I think Paul's saying just earnestly desire. Trust Jesus, right? Trust God and just say, God, whatever gifts you wanna give me, I'm open. It's just that total surrender. So earnestly desire spiritual gifts. God, whatever gift you wanna give me, if, if we began to pray that as a church, the spirit of God would move in powerful ways. So we earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but then it says especially that you may prophesy. And he goes on to explain the reason why we should pray, God, give me the gift of prophecy. Especially desire the gift of prophecy is because the gift of prophecy is when God gives you a word for someone else to build them up, to encourage them, to edify them. Right? And the reason we, we shy away from prophecy is because we, we have this weird picture in our mind when we think of the Old Testament prophets. And we think prophecy is like, you know, you're going to go up to somebody like, thus saith the Lord, right? Unless you change your ways, the ground shall open and all of you and your children will be swallowed. Right? That, that's not prophecy. 
That's not what we're going for here. And Paul makes it clear. No, it's when God gives you a word to encourage, to build up, to, to keep somebody moving, right? So we need to embrace this because it would make the church a more powerful place. And, and I really believe this. I think it's happening a lot more than we even realize. If we began to earnestly seek the gift of prophecy, I believe we would start to recognize, oh, that just happened. And I, and I would say it's probably happened for you more times than you even knew to put that word prophecy on it. So have you ever just felt the nudge that you needed to call somebody? I'm not sure why I haven't talked to that person in a long time. I just think I need to call them. And, and you even have a sense of what you're supposed to say to them. And you pick up the phone and you call. And the person says to you, I can't believe you're calling me. You have no idea what I was about to do. You have no idea what I was about to experience. You have no idea what I, the phone call I just got. Whatever it is, you just, have, you just have entered into a perfect timing, perfect word that somebody needs. Now, you could say, wow, that was a coincidence. Or you can recognize that God has the ability to give you a word to encourage other people, right? So this, this is what prophecy is about. It's, it's not as squishy or weird or, or I don't know, flaky as it, it sometimes sounds. It's, it's very normal when God just gives you a sense of something you need to say to another person. So this is your second homework assignment. You remember what the first homework assignment is? You're going to go home. Read, that's right. I hate it when the teacher gives us reading assignments. Yeah, 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians. But your second homework assignment comes with a couple of qualifiers. So the first qualifier is this. As people, we are broken vessels. We are flawed vessels. So whenever you have a, a, what you think is a word for somebody, you always have to give it with a spirit of humility. So how does that look? This is me saying, hey, I, I don't know if this is for you. I just have a sense the Lord wants me to tell you. And you decide if it's for you, right? Or, hey, I, I know this may come across as weird and I'm taking a risk here, but I just wanna say, I, I think the Lord wants me to, you're, so you're all, you're not, right? What we don't wanna say is, thus saith the Lord, okay? And we laugh, but sometimes we do that because we're so sure God's given us a word and then we're laying a burden on something like, I don't even know what that means, and I don't even know if it's for me. So you're always giving it with a spirit of humility, and that's important. And the second thing is you need to recognize that these words are always for comfort, building the body. It's right there in 1 Corinthians. That when God gives you this gift of power, it's for building one another up. It's not you going to somebody saying, hey, I just think the Lord wants me to tell you, if you don't stop smoking pot, you're going to get struck by lightning. Right? Not building up, not encouraging. That may be true. Maybe that's so you can pray for them so they don't get struck by lightning. I don't know, but that's not what we're going for here, right? It's not so we go around warning each other and telling each other where we're wrong and how we haven't done it right. That's not what we're looking for, building up and encouraging, okay? So here's your homework assignment. We're gonna follow the, the passage that says earnestly seek prophecy. So first, I want you to pray. I want you to just have a posture of prayer. So when you walk into work, when you walk into the grocery store, when you walk into church, when you walk up to the dinner table with your family, just say, Lord, do you have a word for me, for anyone at this table? You're checking out in the grocery line, just say, Lord, do you have anything you want me to say to this person ringing up my groceries? If he doesn't say anything, don't feel obliged to make it up. That would not be good. I know I did that when I was a kid, but as a kid, cut me some slack here, right? But listen, even if you're not sure the beauty is you already have that qualifier. I'm not sure. I just have a sense I need to tell you or God wants me to tell you. 
It's that simple. So pray, listen for that nudge. Know that it's probably not gonna be an audible voice in your head, like, make sure you tell them, right? You're just, it's gonna be a send. You may even have a picture in your mind, like you may see something and say, hey, I don't even know what this means, but I just, God's just giving me a picture of you on a beach, taking in the sun, and they're like, hey, I'll, I'll accept that, right? Whatever, okay? So you pray, you listen, deliver in humility. We talked about that, so you're gonna take the risk, and it is risky. Sometimes you're gonna say to somebody, hey, I just have a sense that the Lord wants me to tell you something. Is that all right? And the person will say, no, it's not all right. I don't wanna hear it. Guess what? Go tell them, right? Because that would be rude. That would be you invading their space. If they don't want it, it's okay. But if you ask and they're ready to have it, and then the fourth part of this is I would love for you to report back to us exactly what happened. So the next slide says report. Uh, let's just get some emails going. Let's get some Facebook exchange going. Reach out to me, reach out to Paul and say, hey, crazy thing, I was in the grocery store and I just felt like God wanted me to tell the person checking us out that uh, things are gonna be okay. Hey, I don't know what this means, but God told me your baby's gonna be okay. How did you know there was something wrong with my baby? I didn't know that. I just am passing on what God told me. Well, my baby's been sick and that really means a lot. Well, you know what? That's just God's way of telling that person, I see you. I care about you. Your life matters to me, right? So if we would begin to do that here in the church and out there, God would move in a powerful way. Imagine this culture if we just became people who gave prophetic, encouraging words to one another. Wouldn't that be a powerful thing? Amen. All right. So three-week series, Grace, This Is Us. We are a mosaic. We are a church of C groups, and we are a word and spirit church. So I'm going to read for you um, out of Ephesians as a way of closing. I'm going to actually ask you to stand up and I'm going to read this prayer over you. It's a prayer that we've used a lot around here over the last several years. Um, but as I read it, I just want you to listen for the movement of the spirit within this prayer. And this is just our prayer as we go out of this place. Paul is writing, he says, for this very reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he will grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your innermost being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Lord, would you fill us with all the fullness of God? Now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever, amen. Hey, yeah, amen. We prayed for you before the service. Uh, just have a strong sense uh, that someone is dealing with some stomach issues, stomach ulcers. We would love to pray for you. Uh, that there's some people in the room that just need to make the decision to walk with Jesus, and we want to pray over you for that. If you have any other th things you want to be prayed for, prayer team will be down here. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.